So a couple months ago, I asked Nate, Nate, if you could ask me any question or any series of questions, what would they be? And some of our recent episodes have come from some of those questions that Nate has asked, um, specifically our episodes on how to run a great trial lesson, sales scripts, some, some of the episodes that I've gotten a lot of comments about. But there was one question that we hadn't answered yet, and I'd actually been delaying on answering this one because I was really trying to wrap my head around it. And the question was, what, uh, how do you manage projects, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like I've watched um, a lot of the great work that you've done at Grow, Daniel, and I've thought, huh, how, how are you moving projects from start through the middle to the finish? And I think the way I framed the question was just, how do you even measure the value of a finished project, the return on your most valuable assets, your people, um, you know, your time, your creativity, your money? And then how do you personally, Daniel, know that a project was worth it in hindsight? Right. Like yeah. how, how do you, when you go back to it and you're just like, okay, we really, we, we define this project, we manage it well in hindsight, I think that was absolutely the right choice and how to, you know, allocate our resources. So I'm psyched. And, and, and what's awesome is that when I brought this up to you, you were like, you know, who we need to have on <laughs> making her maiden voyages are, is your director of operations, Kirsten. So um, she's joining us today, which is amazing. Um, I completely agree because when you said, how do you manage you know, the money? How do you manage the timeline of it? How do you manage the people? And I thought, huh, well, one of the ways in which I manage those things is actually through my ops manager, who is Kirsten, who's here today. Uh, so Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. It's you, it's me, it's Nate. And a big reason that this podcast is even on the air is because of Kirsten. She's the one yes. who's behind the scenes. <laughs> Running this whole team, so Just pulling Kirsten, levers. Really glad you're here, yeah, yeah, <laughs> here, yeah. Um, now, before we actually jump into it, I, I do have to say this. I have to. I have to. So, Kirsten and I actually met because way back in the day, Kirsten was one of my piano students. Mm. Uh, when I was in my early twenties, Kirsten was just entering high school. And I got a call from her mom because some of the marketing I did. And I came over and for about five, six years, I taught Kirsten and her sister and her brother. And uh, I'll just say this. Kirsten is pretty awesome at piano. Um, <laughs> she played some really challenging songs uh, during our time together. In fact, if you go on to YouTube, you can find us playing a duet together, um, a Slavonic dance by Dvorak. Uh, nice. And you can find her playing um, a Brahms impromptu, isn't it right, Kirsten? You know, I prefer to block out these embarrassing details <laughs> no. from childhood. <laughs> but Kirsten, they did the rounds in our Slack channel like a few months ago. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that is true. Yeah, I, I, I you know what? It's, you. A, it's occurring to me that I'm just like I'm the parent who's like showing the embarrassing videos to everyone <laughs> in the family, and Kirsten's like, "Please don't show that again, Daniel." So anyway, I, well, Kirsten, I didn't bring you on the podcast to embarrass you. So let's let's um, maybe jump into it. Well, Kirsten, you had a great idea when we were we when we were batting around how to tackle this, and you said, "Well, actually, guys, I think that this is this is really kind of a multi um, episode." Mm you know, multi-episode project that we're managing here. And you said to start out, you really wanted to get into kind of how do you actually even launch a project, right? Am I correct there? And then I think we'll go 
maybe on another episode, we'll get into just actually executing on the project. And then finally, maybe how we assess, you know, when we're done and the return on all the investment. Does that sound about right? Definitely. Starting with the vision and ideation and mental models that you need to have when beginning a project. I love it. Um, Can I tee you up with a question and just the way Nate's brain works when it comes to projects? Because I feel like um, one of the ways that I personally have benefited so much from you is specifically with the 7FMS podcast because you just keep me on task all the time with what matters. And I so appreciate that, as does Daniel. Um, But when I look at a new idea... I might, for example, um, you know, uh, yeah, like right now we're, we're, we're putting together um, sort of the next wave of our big music games launch. So what happens in my head, Kirsten, is I all of a sudden I just have idea after idea after idea after idea, and I start spitting them out to the team, and they hear it, and they're like, oh, does this mean we're go on all of these? And... And I know that I'm part of the problem. I don't always know how to solve it, but this is why <laughs> this is why I like to surround myself with amazing minds like yours. And honestly, different mental models, like as you, as you put it. So, um, how do you deal with you know kind of a brain like mine who's just got a dozen ways that you can that you can go about something? And uh, where do we start there? Absolutely. So, I mean, I have the pleasure of working with a lot of different artists. They tend to be more divergent thinkers. So it's easier for you to find creative, a lot of creative solutions to one problem. And it's harder for you to narrow down that idea to one well-defined thing. Um, But I think when you're looking at ideas, anything that's worth looking at is something that's a gap in the market, something that's a new product or a new service, um, maybe something that's in innovative solution to an everyday problem you're facing in the studio. Uh, Maybe it's an interest or hobby that you want to be monetized, um, something where you're utilizing skills in your career. Um, So I guess it's just important to maybe have a few of these ideas that you've written down defined so that you can go into the process of testing those ideas to see if they're going to be viable or profitable. Mm, Hold on a second. You said divergent thinkers. Um, tell me more about that. Like you said, we come up with lots of different creative solutions, but how do we then go from creative solution to, um, sort of definition and what, what other type of thinkers are there? Cause I honestly, I think I'm only familiar with divergent thinkers. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I would classify myself as a convergent thinker. So I can take a lot of different things and kind of boil them down into one, well-defined idea. I can define the steps for that. It's just kind of how my brain works. Like I'm really good at simmering things down and Hmm. saying, here's how we're going to actualize it. And here are the different steps. Um, And I guess that's, it's a difference in brains and it's good to have that complement. But divergent thinking, a lot of artists are like that. It's you, you have this ability to find a lot of creative solutions. So it's important to, you know, have that knowledge that you work that way and then be working towards maybe boiling it down to a few ideas that you can stick to, or you have someone on your team that can compliment you and say like, you have a lot of amazing ideas here, but 
I'm going to help you kind of boil it down to things that we can actually do um, for the team that we have and that are going to be profitable for us. That's so interesting. Nate, do you have someone on your team at BMF that you identify as that convergent thinker? Yeah, it's such a good question, Daniel, because I literally just did a search in our G drive and I just said, I searched projects and I wanted to see what... <laughs> Sort of just a, like a historical map of or a historical record of all these different projects we've planned. And someone, for example, Nick, who now currently works uh, designing new games for BMG, um, I just pulled up this BMF Connect version 1.0 raising the orbit project plan in my G drive. And it's fascinating because it's exactly what you're talking about, Kirsten. He, he states the goal, he states the team, all these things you're going to cover, and then he just simmers it down to exactly what's going to be accomplished by when and who's going to accomplish it. And it's, Daniel, I look at that and I think it's a work of beauty and I'm not the person who made it. Well, what I was going to say is I think a huge takeaway already that someone could get from this podcast is if you can identify who you are, who, who you are as a thinker, you just have to find that equal and opposite from you. And Nate, I actually knew that you were going to tell me that there was someone on the big music games team that was a divergent yeah, totally. or a convergent thinker. Cause I know you're such a divergent one. And what's interesting. Uh, so, you know, the sponsors of this podcast are both grouplessons.com and big music games. And in, in the pairing of me and Greg, Greg was always the one throwing out 18 ideas per right. day. And totally. I'm the one just being like, Dude, we cannot possibly actualize all this. <laughs> and and I think this is why Kirsten and I get along so, so well, is that we both are the convergent thinker. We look at all the variables. And, and I don't know how you feel about this, Kirsten, but it does just feel like it's like it just starts converting into steps in my head. Is that how it kind of operates mm -hmm. for you? Yes, definitely. I yeah. mean, not to plug a book right now, but... I've been reading this one, The Great CEO Within. We just did a podcast on uh, that. Yes. Keep going. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so they talk about, you know, people have zones of excellence, things that they're good at, um, things that they like, but then you have your zone of genius, the thing that you're really, really amazing at, and also a thing that you really, really connect with. So yeah. there you go. Nate, I'm going to kick it back over to you. I just, yeah. I just wanted to ask that of you because I thought, because big music games... Uh, which you can find at uh, what, what's that what link again, Nate? Yeah, we made a we made a seven FMS link. So just bigmusicgames.com backslash seven FMS right. the number seven yeah. FMS. Yep. Yeah, definitely check that out. That's one of our sponsors. But I just knew that um, that there had to be people on the team that kind of balance out because you know you have that creativity. I don't know if Craig Baldwin is also on more of the divergent side versus the convergent side, but. There, there always has to be an operationalizer. And what I will say is anyone listening to this podcast who just, mm. they live in that vision place, but they have a hard time turning it into actual actions. Um, I'd just say two things, either A, find that person, or B, understand that that is your makeup. That, that doesn't mean that you can't turn something into an operationalized plan, but that could be where maybe you need to lean a little bit more into that and and not be so yeah. afraid of that side. I, I don't know, but um, they keep it going here. Yeah, I want to go to um, I want to go to defining the idea, and maybe you don't have anything else to say on this, Kirsten, but or maybe you do. But um, 
I'm really curious how you take that uh, divergent thinker. You've got all these creative solutions and how you sort of then come back and present, hey, looks like these are the three. And how do we know we have a defined idea? Like, how do, I, how do you... How do you and Daniel uh, align, and you, Daniel, and Greg, because I know the three of you worked has, have worked really closely together on, on group lessons and Piano Express. Um, how do you guys get down to defining those few ideas? Right. So I think you kind of have to determine the viability of each idea and the timeline. Um, so realistically, you're not going to mm. be able to do things over a few years, if you have a short cash runway, um, or if your team just isn't equipped for it, you don't have the resources for it. So there's a few questions you have to ask yourself, definitely. I mean, we asked ourselves every time we started a project for grouplessons.com, you know, how many people are involved in this? Mm. Do we need supplies and input from outside parties? Because that always increases the timeline. Dependencies always do. Um, what's the budget? And we have room for it to change. Uh, has the team done this work before? Is it new? Is quality and adherence to the budget more important than speed? That's a big one. Mm. Um, who's choosing the tools? And other things like, what are the incentives of the people working on the project? So there's just a lot of different questions you can ask yourself to kind of determine the viability and timeline of each of those ideas. You know, this reminds that's that's an amazing list, Kirsten. And it reminds me of a great quote that was shared with me um, by the owner of the company where, we, where our engineer on BMF Connect um, works. And he said to me, he said, Nate, you can have budget, you can have quality, and you can have speed. You can have two of the three. You'll never get in all three of them. And I love that you said, you know, what, what's the quality? What's the budget? Um, you know, what's the time line that you need? Uh, that's, that, that's a, it's just a great list. And I think, um, I want to I want to actually keep it super real with you guys around developing Piano Express because I know you've been working super hard on that for years now. Um, sometimes things like budget, can you afford to have it change? Will you need outside help? Da, 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 da. Those feel a little abstract to a music school owner, right? They're not even. They're like, we never have budget, right? I can already hear our listeners saying, "What do you mm -hmm. mean budget? We just don't ever have budget." <laughs> But the reality is, is we're always working within a budget. Can you give an example, you, you two, of just um, s some of the hard choices you had to make around managing the project with Piano Express? Like, where were there moments where you were like, you know what? This is a feature we're, we're going to do without for now because we know we can get it later. We don't have the budget for that. Or we'd rather release this. With, we'd rather keep to this timeline and we might have to um, flex the budget slightly. Can you can you guys come up with a couple of real examples? Kirsten, I see you smiling. Are we thinking about the same thing? Marketing website. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and Kirsten, I want to <laughs> kick this over to you, but I, I actually want to add even one thing on top of what Nate said, and it's this: is that if you are working on a team, you might find that some of the that triangle that Nate said, budget, quality, speed. You might find that people on the team champion one of those aspects as and, and make it oh, their right. identity. And this is uh, actually what has caused Kirsten and I to lock horns at times um, as teammates working together. Um, it's very interesting how these dynamics can play out in between team members. And Kirsten, that's where I'm going to shut up and turn it over to you. <laughs> well, Daniel and I have determined every time we start a project, we have to determine 
who is Batman and who is Robin. <laughs> so who's making the decisions and who's supporting. And honestly, every project is an ongoing conversation. It's how much cash do we have right now? How many resources do we have? Um, how many people do we have to work on this project? And and some projects are going to go faster than others and other ones are going to go too long. And you have to say, you know, we only have this much cash. And mm. so what's something that we can put out that we're proud of, um, but not something that's sucking our resources more than we've agreed upon. And so I think that's where it's really important to go back to your forecasting, your annual planning, your quarterly planning, honestly, the mission values of your company so that you can take these smaller decisions and always bring them back to something bigger, a bigger Mm. lens that you're looking through. I'm Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, this is what I was going to ask. Because it's amazing that both of you are on the podcast right now together. Because I would like to know, uh, Daniel, when you have said, you two have agreed that you would be Robin. Like, Because I'm going to say out loud here to all of our music school owners listening that there are absolutely times if you're going to grow kind of like a mission, purpose-driven school that's really fun to run, there are absolutely times where you need to be Robin, where you're giving up control. So I'm curious, Daniel, if you have a, a concrete example um, maybe even within Piano Express where you're like, yeah, let's just, Kirsten, you need to call the shots on this so we get to the finish line of this piece of the project. Yeah, yeah, I have two thoughts on this, uh, and I'm going to maybe answer that question there with the example you gave, and then I'm going to give an example from a client who's running Sweet. a fairly large school. So my attitude early on, and, and I'll just even add this as a footnote even, if you go back and listen to episodes 46 and 48, these are two episodes that I recorded while I was in Brooklyn with you last year, Nate. Mm. And we went really deep into how I think about systems. And one of the fir- very first systems I ever built for my business, this Grow Your Music Studio, et cetera, was the system of how to train team members. And I learned this from a consultant that I was working with. And, and I really go deep into those two episodes. They're very much worth listening to. They, I think they're like top 10% of episodes we've ever done. And so Kirsten came in through that system and what I was always looking for in the, in, in the talented people that I've worked with over the years, and there's been a variety of them was just how well do they thrive working in this, in the rigidity of how we do things, which is there are very defined Mm -hmm. ways that we build projects. There's very defined ways that we take care of tasks. And you know, I've got Kirsten here to keep me honest, but I really don't feel like we fight fires very often, either in Grow or in Piano Express, grouplessons.com. Here's the reason why I'm saying this, is that my thought has always been, oh, I'm looking to kick things off. I'm looking to give things to other people. And Ooh. I see how well they handle them. And if they handle them well... I know that, oh, they can continue doing that if it's a recurring task or if it's within a domain, it's like, oh, I wonder what other things they could do in that domain that are very, very similar. So this is why now Kirsten completely manages basically all of our web presences. We have a ton of pages and websites across the web. We've got something like three to four dozen landing pages. She's built a good number of them. And it was just Mm. like over the years, I just saw that that was a capability she has. Again, I'm talking about her like she's not here, <laughs> but like she has a real eye for design. Like um, we, I bought a course years ago 
that talked about how to make beautiful assets, beautiful sales pages, beautiful landing pages. Before, mine were really kind of generic, out-of-the-box type things. And I had Kirsten take a sales page we already had and uh, migrate over to a new platform. It looked better. Then it got to the point that I would just write sales or offer pages in GDocs. Right. And... and, and literally just give her only text and and then we would it would be turned into this really beautiful thing she made all these visual assets for it and it's just like you know how did i determine that you know she was to be batman on that it was just like giving something to someone else and just saying go and run with it now the second story i wanted to tell and Kirsten, i'd love to hear your your response to that in just a second but I, i'm going to say this is that i've got a client right now Nate you know who it is where she's got uh, two managers, mm-hmm. uh, like a general manager and then an education manager. Mm. And she spent the majority of the last year preparing those two people, those those two women, to take over for her when she went on a maternity leave and then was eventually going to be physically not even in the same state as her school for six months out of this coming year. Mm-hmm. And our work was, how do I make them more capable how do, how do, basically she didn't use these terms, but how do I turn them into Batman? And that was a really defined process of like, okay, well, what are all the tasks that they need to be doing? And then why can't they do them now? And then there's this evaluation of, and this doesn't go back to what Kirsten said at the beginning of the podcast, which is, is this worth doing or it's, or it's not, these things are definitely worth doing. It's what's going to keep the school running. Right. What, what needed to be evaluated was, can it be done in the same way that the owner did it? Or are we going to have to demolish the system that the owner was using and build something that, that someone who doesn't have ownership control over the business can do? Like, in other words, do we have to take into account that a different person is doing it other than the owner? And in that case, that's a lot of times where Kirsten's so good at what she does that I can tell her what needs to get done. And then she just designs the entire system herself. And again, I think working with a convergent thinker like her really makes that possible. So Kirsten, I'd love to kick it back over to you and see the flip side of that process. I actually didn't even answer Nate's question yet, but before we even go there, like I'm, I'm curious what you think about what you just heard there and what you would add or, or, or disagree with or, or affirm. I don't know. Oh, I think that goes back to a few things. It goes back to when you first hire the person um, if you need to do a Colby test like we did with Grow when I first joined or whatever personality behavioral intelligence tests will help you get to know that person better and help them to know themselves better so you can kind of anticipate where their strengths are um, and help them develop in that role as long as that's something that they like. Um, and just, again, once you get to that point where you know them better and you know their zones of genius, they know their zones of genius, it just becomes more intuitive. And like Daniel was saying, if there's a project where the person just really excels, you don't have to give them a lot of input. You don't have to give them a lot of direction. Maybe even they come up with it by themselves. Then you kind of know to take that role as Robin. And both of you are thinking about the bigger picture within the business and mission and values and all of that jazz. But that person can kind of take the reins and do what they do best. And as long as you have multiple people, you have really good communication. It, it generally ends up pretty productive. Mm. I want to talk about the flip side of that coin. There are some places, and I, I referenced this earlier, and again, I'm going to give Kirsten equal time if she wants to have a rebuttal. Uh, there have been times where 
uh, I 100% was Batman. I knew I was Batman. I didn't want anyone else to be Batman. And someone else tried to come in and be Batman. And I will just say that you do need to know the people you're working with. And, and again, I, I'm trying to make this applicable to school owners. You have to know the people you're working with, the, the sensitivities, the personality, like that sort of thing. Uh, I talk to Kirsten in a way that I probably don't talk to a lot of other people, but we do have that relationship. <laughs> Honestly, we've known each other going on 20 years now. Um, and, uh, and so there have been times where maybe either I was stepping into her domain a bit or she was stepping into my domain a bit. And there was like a little bit of wrestling for control. You're not going to often experience that with people who are more like a level one, level two employee. But when you're dealing with a four or a five, like Kirsten, like you can get into this. You want people who want to take responsibility and sometimes they try to take too much. And then that's where the conversations have to be had. Uh, Rebuttal Kirsten. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this is an interesting one because you're my boss. Uh, I think, I mean, we have a unique business relationship in that I've been your right-hand woman for quite a few years. And so I think there are times when I've said, you know, I think I want to push the UX of this farther. I want it to be super sharp and, and great. And you've kind of said, no, speed is more important in this aspect. But I think we've always gotten back to a point of professionalism and respect. And as long as you or I or both of us can point to what we plan at annual planning, what our 10-year goals are, what the mission and values of the business are, we always end up getting it right. That's cool. I like that. Nate, do you want to jump in? I, I actually have one other thing I think would be really germane for school owners, but but I want to kick it over to you for a second. Uh, uh, I was just going to frame the, the, that last back and forth. Our listeners, because just from my from my what I perceived there, is that when we, you know, this is an episode on taking an idea or a whole bunch of ideas, simmering it down to one or two of the best, deciding that's a project that you're going to follow through on, teeing that sucker up, building the team around it, and doing it right. And what I hear and that what you guys are talking about, like wrestling control back and forth, sometimes within a project we actually um, can be guilty of sort of moving out of our lane for a moment, right? And the challenge there is that when we, in my experience, when I've done it, because I've definitely been the one who like, you know, I'll move out of my lane and I'll say, wait a minute, can't we do this differently? But I'm not the one who's has autonomy over that piece of the project. Um, when I move out of the lane like that, what we're doing actually is we're slowing down or costing us money, right? Or in many times we're actually, um, uh, yeah, we're we're um, we're going to reduce the quality of whatever we're trying to do. So, and anytime we get into a situation where we find ourselves sort of jumping out of the lane and trying to wrestle control to something that we've clearly given over to that person on the team, um, know that as owners, as school owners, we're costing ourselves money and time. So. That's just my framing of it. Back to you, Daniel. Uh, yeah. Before, Actually, what do you Daniel, got? go ahead. You showed me an Alex Hormozzi video a while ago that was really insightful, and I, I think you should talk about it. Which one? <laughs> I watched it already. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was kind of the one about remembering your aim and doing the the ten percent of things that really matter. Oh man, 
I've watched so many Alex Ramosi videos, it's so hard to remember. Now, what that feels like to me is kind of a bigger theme he has, which has really been kicking me in the teeth this year, which is just that business owners love new, but what they should be doing is better and more of the same thing. Mm, and totally. I think that fits in with what you're talking about there, Kirsten, but I don't I don't know if I remember the exact video. Maybe can you summarize it? Because it sounds like you remember it better than I do. <laughs> it has been a while, but definitely it's it's kind of held Daniel and I both accountable because it's easy to kind of forget the main responsibilities that you have that are, you know, the 10% of work that's actually bringing in the revenue. Um, and to kind of focus on the fun things or debating back and forth on what the website's supposed to look like or the specific page and little things that at the end of the day aren't integral to the success of the company. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that kind of, it, it was good to watch that video because it just reminds you again what things are important and and what things you want to avoid so you're not wasting your team's time and wasting you know resources, money in general. Yeah, I think the classic version of that is the school owner who is getting three leads a month or maybe a different school owner that is uh, turning over their entire student body in under a year because they have a retention problem. And their solution to it is, oh, we need a different program. That's going to solve our problems. Because yeah. when, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail type thing. And, and a lot of times owners are, for the, not, not always, but a lot of times owners are educators who are uh, reluctant business owners. And so one has to really have a gut check and ask, is the way that I'm going about solving this problem actually going to solve the problem? Or to say it a different way, if you want to understand why there's a gap between where you are and where you want to be, look at your day planner or your digital calendar for the last week. And yes. that'll tell you why. You're just not yeah. focusing on the right things. So, Kirsten, are we entirely off the outline? Like, do we want to get back to it? <laughs> No, we're the, probably. <laughs> this is all good stuff. Okay. It's all you know, mental models, bigger thinking. It's going to play into the ideas that you have that are eventually going to turn into a project. But I think where we kind of got off course was probably talking about profitability of the idea, mm -hmm. because obviously you don't want to get into this idea or a project without it being something that's profitable. Another one of your favorite topics, forecasting. It's definitely yeah. important to forecast to determine what your expenditures are going to be and your revenue goals, for sure. Um, another thing is understanding your target audience to kind of determine the demand that there's going to be for this. Will this solve, solve a problem and will people actually pay for it kind of thing? Um, another one is kind of learning about your competition and what their pricing is, maybe doing a SWOT analysis, which is strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And then probably finally just writing out your unique selling proposition. So what differentiates this project from other ones you're doing? What differentiates this project from your competitors? What's unique about it? Yeah, and if I can frame a couple things there, Kirsten, like what you guys brought up the example of like, well, the project might be just a website overhaul for something. Maybe your private lesson program, you've decided, you know what? You need to, you're, you know, like Daniel brought up, you've got a lead issue. You need to get from three leads a month to 30 leads a month. And you've decided that the project is all around um, leveling up your website, right? 
what I think the way you can just look at profitability there is say, hey, I already have a product. I know what the profitability of my private lesson program is. Uh, and what I'm now doing is saying I'm going to invest some resources in marketing. And that marketing resource I'm going to invest in actually isn't in more paying for more clicks right now. It's in just um, improving the quality of the site. And maybe getting back to Daniel's uh, example from before, Daniel, when you were talking about literally just enrolling in a course on how to build better websites or, you know, like you guys have a, a, a beautiful marketing course at Grow. Like just saying, hey, we're going to invest the time and money into that. Um, so I just wanted to frame that with profitability. It's not always a something new. It's not always a new product we're launching. Mm-hmm. It might be an existing product that we're leveling up. Um, like Absolutely. So I wanted to just make sure our, our school owners understood that. We're not always, it's not always shiny. It's not always new. Remember what Hermosi said. <laughs> okay, so Definitely. now how do we actually, um, you know, what, what's the next step? So now it's like, I feel like we've simmered this idea down. We've done some analysis. We want to tee the sucker up to get off the starting gate. So I'm a quote queen, as annoying as that may be, but I love the quote and I don't know who said it. Perfection is achieved not when there's nothing more to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. So this goes along with my theme of boiling things down to the thing that's going to be most viable, most profitable, something that's attainable for your team. And before you actually jump into the project, there's definitely some mental models, some things you need to consider. So I've hammered this already during this podcast that your idea, the thing that you land on should be something that fits within the greater view of your company. So it's your 10-year goal. It's your annual and quarterly planning. And another quote, uh, fanaticism consists in redoubling your efforts when you've forgotten your aim. So remember your aim when you're considering starting this project. Um, another one is just this idea or this project, um, this refinement should be something that amplifies your core values. So I know we have some at Piano Express. I don't know if we want to dive into them. Hmm. Go share one with us. Sure. Uh, so we have, let's see, let me think of a good one. Okay, I love this one. Follow a path you're eager and happy to take responsibility for and be prepared to change your mind when new data arrives. Mm. So that's speaking to iteration as well, even during the project. Um, and then I would say there's a few more things in the preparation of everything, preparation for actualizing it we've already talked about Batman versus Robin. So you definitely need to determine who's going to be managing it and who's going to be supporting it. If you have multiple people involved in this. Um, And then also I found this at grow and piano express finding harmony and project management of involves a little bit of both approaches follow the recipe, which is kind of the person that's doing the quality control, the consistency, the diligence, and someone who is understanding the recipe, seeing the patterns and opportunities, um, and can kind of change the recipe to fit the problem to be solved. That kind of takes us back to the convergent and divergent thinkers. So just understanding the people that are on your team and who can kind of bring what in that situation. Um, And then definitely my favorite part, when a project involves multiple people, you need to set the groundwork with having upfront agreements versus silent expectations. 
So I think something that we do really well at, at Grow is we always talk about vision, resources, definition of done, and everything that we're doing. We're very clear with communication, and we always try to adhere to agreements instead of having an expectation for someone that we haven't communicated that kind of sets them up for failure. So those are just a few of the mental models uh, that I like to have when I'm beginning a project. I got, I got, I mean, we're limited. I know we have limited time with you, but I do have a few follow-up questions. Before I go there, Daniel, anything come to mind? There's one mental model I really want to dive in on, but I think you should ask your questions first. Well, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be the one that I want to dive. So just one thing you said, um, uh, you said finding harmony in project management. Um, and you talked about this idea of um, quality control. And, I, and I'm, I'm not going to get exactly what you said there correct. But it reminded me of, the, of a conversation I had with Nick. I mentioned him earlier in the podcast. Hmm. In the very first year of Big Music Games, which was like 2017, and we were trying to make an, our iOS app, and we had uh, two teachers, awesome longtime BMF teachers, who were the quality control team, and then we had two uh, other teachers, Nick and Steven, who were the project kind of managers and coders, and and I realized we had this con- Nick and I had this conversation just a couple years ago, looking back on it, and he's like. Dude, we had way too many quality control people in the room, and we had way <laughs> too few. Uh, we we needed just one project manager, and I realized this is a mistake that we make at BMF periodically, where we don't state that this is the one human who's managing the project and going to push it forward, right? And I think you guys are doing that well. Um, but I, 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 just listening to you talk out loud, I was like, oh man. That's what we missed the first time around with BMG. Um, and the iOS app ad- ended up dying on the vine. We ended up actually pulling the plug on it because we ran out of money in around like 2018 or something like that. So it took us another couple of years before we resuscitated the thing and turned it into a web app, which is big music games. But it, I didn't have the wisdom then that you're sharing right now. It didn't occur to me that we needed one person who owned moving the thing forward. And we didn't actually need like three to five people doing QC on the app. We needed like one person tops doing quality control because it was going to be good enough. Back to your perfectionism quote. Yeah, Daniel, where were you going to go with mental models? I always want to comment on what you said there. For the, the owner of a larger school who maybe hasn't found their ops manager yet, that ops manager should be capable enough to run any project inside the school. Mm. You don't have multiples. You have one, and she or he is the whip. And uh, that, that's the first part. And the second part is, I think for anyone who's listening to this, who their, their size isn't, isn't to the point yet where that's realistic, that's going to be you. But as you're thinking about that role, um, just understand that that's what you are aiming for. And you find that person... Maybe not by hiring them full time. I'm, I'm actually coaching a a, re, a a young company that's in LA right now, um, and I, I just really love these owners. They've got a really unique model. They're doing music lessons in in the Santa Monica area, and um, I they're they're thinking about hiring right now. And as I'm kind of sharing with them what has worked with me over the years, and kind of giving them some models for how to do that, I'm just thinking like. 
you know, right now the owners are the ones who are organizing all this, but we, I already can see the kinds of competencies they're going to need for the person that eventually starts taking over scheduling and, and all these other sorts of things. And mm. that person should be multi-competent that they can handle all of that stuff. They should have their hands in many different areas of the business, which is exactly what Kirsten can do. So, um, but I did want to jump in and actually talk a little bit about one of those Kirsten, the fanaticism one. I'm going to botch the quote, I think, but fanaticism is doubling your efforts when you don't know the aim. That's what it was. Okay. When you've forgotten your aim. When you've forgotten your aim. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, it's funny that I, how I messed that up because that's actually very true for a lot of people I work with who are in the music studio or music school industry. It isn't they've forgotten it. It's they never had it. And I coach owners every single week where um, they are are a panic in search of a trigger. Um, And, and, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know the order in which to do it. I've got 86 things to do. How do I prioritize them? Like all those sorts of things. And I will just tell you that my own personal experience, and Kirsten, I actually love for you to weigh in on this. I wonder if this was ever something you experienced, but... I do know that in times where I felt very stressed, a lot of times it meant that I had broken commitments with myself or I just didn't even know what those commitments were. And a lot of times, the way that I pushed that stress or anxiety away was just to sit down for an hour or two and just start writing out all the things I thought needed to be done. And then organizing as I best I could. And then here's the tip that will um, answer the inevitable question that I think a lot of people in the audience have right now. Well, how do I know if this is the right order? That's the fun thing. You don't. This is a skill you develop over time. And I, this, no matter how much I say that, I just, I, just in all the years I've done coaching, I just can't seem, it, it doesn't seem to get through to people until it does. That you can't know. There is no perfect order. And if there was, we couldn't know it, even if there was. And my circumstances are going to be different than Nate's and, and Greg at Ken Express and this owner in Seattle and this owner in LA and this owner in New York. Like, um, there, there is no correct way to do it. And, and as Naval Ravikant says, if we're going to be mis- the quote queen, um, in an age of infinite leverage, judgment is your most important skill. But judgment only comes once you have the wisdom and the wisdom only comes once you've failed enough that you actually earned it. And so if you're just sitting on the sidelines, like wondering, well, what should I be doing? Oh man, I, you know, I don't want to move forward because what if I make a mistake? You're actually just delaying the, the building up of wisdom inside your own experience so that you're always going to have to be asking these questions of yourself. I have this great quote, Daniel, that is part of my daily affirmations, and it just says, I cannot fail, only learn, grow, and become better than ever before. And that, uh, just to be honest, that's a tricky one for me. It's a little bit like, um, especially, you know, I don't know for those of us, those of our listeners that are working with adults, adult students oftentimes come and be having been highly successful in some area of their life. Like they're a great parent, they're really successful in their career, and then they come to take piano lessons and they just struggle. And they struggle. And so like the first three years are just therapy of being like, it's okay. Like the only thing we need to do is go through a week of playing piano again. 
That's all you got to do. Right. Um, we have Kirsten, can I ask you one other question on something you said? Cause I'm really fascinated by your agreements comment about mm-hmm. laying the groundwork with, for, with upfront agreements versus silent expectations. Can you just clarify silent expectations for our listeners? Like what, what exactly does that mean? And what, how am I, when am I doing that? <laughs> what am I doing precisely? Right. So I would say if you have a project that you're giving over to someone to manage or even something as small as a task and you give them the overall view of what you want done, but there's something that you expect them to do or a certain quality that you expect them to have, a certain part of the project that you expect them to do that they just didn't know that you expected Mm. that of them. It's unfair to that person. So we always try whenever, um, you know, with employees were assigning them a task or a project to have three things in place, the vision, the overall big picture view, all the resources that they would need. um, And then the definition of done. So what it looks like when they've actually completed it, all the things that need to be in place. And of course this changes a little bit with higher level employees. You don't necessarily have to give them as much information, but it, it does everyone a disservice when you don't communicate what you expect out of someone. I'll even make the observation that I will give more complex, Kirsten was saying the higher level employees, I will give more complex projects to a higher level employee with fewer inputs and it comes back better than a lot of input on a less complex project for a lower level employee. And that's how you can kind of know where to move someone up or down and and when you know to start giving more complex projects to a team member. Um, Bethany's going to end up listening to this podcast when she writes the thing. But I think a perfect example of this is, and, and Kirsten did this too, where I gave like simple things and then uh, around the edges of our social media strategy. And then I just gave the whole social media strategy over to Bethany at the end of last year. And mm. we've put out more social content in 2023 than probably the previous six years combined. <laughs> Um, because I gave it off to someone else. That could be a whole interesting podcast just because I know that social media strategy for school owners is something that they would love to delegate out. <laughs> maybe we should just maybe we should do one with Bethany if she if we can get her on here, but I don't think she will. <laughs> <laughs> She'll then have to edit herself. Um, Kirsten, so what do we have coming up in the next step? Because it feels to me like I've now had a master class in assessing ideas um, and, well, building us somewhat of, you've started to address building team, right? And so it's sort of some broad strokes. So what are we, what are we going to look at next? So the next episode, we're going to look at everything around execution. So making this project happen, you know, Daniel always tells me wisdom is knowledge applied. So you can read all the books, but actually applying it and being willing to fail and being willing to learn from that is huge. So the next step is all about how do you take these mental models? How do you take this vision and boil it down into concrete steps, getting the right people, the right resources involved? Hallelujah. I've already learned so much. You want to know what I wrote down in my notebook, Kirsten? I wrote convergent thinker. I need more of them. (laughs) 
in my life. <laughs> you know, that's funny because Daniel and I have had conversations where we're like, we really appreciate Nate and how he's so focused on speed. And he's like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be done. So mm. definitely it's good to have people that compliment each other. I'll maybe wrap up with a thought there. When Kirsten briefly mentioned the Colby test, um, just a fun little tidbit that I don't know will add any value to anyone's life, but it's an interesting fact, is that Kirsten and I's Colby score is almost identical. Um, and one of the things that when we took it, when you when they analyze how two people will work together, they'll say, hey, you, you'll have a lot of harmony in these areas, but you're going to have blind spots in all these because your sc- scores are so similar. So just kind of interesting. And then just the other thing I would say is I'd love for anyone uh, who's listening to this or watching this on YouTube um, to uh, leave a comment and maybe just ask specific questions or reply to the email if you got this through our email list, um, which to join it, just go to greenmusicstudio.com slash free. There's so many different free resources there, stuff on AI and how you can use your music school, group lessons, how to become a fan of this podcast, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many good things there. Um, uh, but whatever the case, we'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. What'd you take away from it? Either leaving a comment or whatever. And of course, uh, this podcast is free, but we'd love if you would put a like or share this with someone um, that you think could benefit from it. That's always really, really helpful. And Kirsten, we'll see you in the next episode that you come on. We've got a little bit more to talk about project management, obviously from someone who's really, really good at it. And uh, thank you for taking the time out. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.